that is willing to be used of you to do its part for the betterment, for the edification, for the building up of the entire body. Thank you for all of these believers that are here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as you can see from the screen, the title of this morning's message is A Proper Perspective, A Proper Perspective for the New Year, A Proper Perspective for the New Year. As I was thinking about New Year's, and we have one coming up tomorrow, we are on our last day of 2023, but as I was thinking about people's mentality or that the way they think about a new year coming up, there are two mental exercises associated with transitioning from one year end to the next. And those two things that are common that most of you have probably heard about, most of you maybe even have participated in or been a part of at some point in your lives. The first one is this, reflecting on the past year. So that's a mental exercise that oftentimes people go through as one year comes to a close, reflecting on the past year. Now, the other that is more common, I think some people, maybe quite a number of people, have heard about reflecting on the past year, but the more common one is setting goals for the next year, setting goals for the coming year. Now, from a natural point of view, this seems like a valuable or worthwhile undertaking to do those things. And, and, and I wouldn't say that it's a complete waste, but I would say this realistically, these exercises, reflecting on the past year and setting goals for the next year from a human, a natural point of view, a, a human perspective, they're largely a waste of time for a variety of reasons. One of those reasons is that people tend to learn very little from past experiences, good or bad. People tend to learn very little from past experiences. And so reflecting on the past year isn't all that useful if you don't learn anything from what you've gone through or experienced anyway. So that's one reason. Another reason is that past success or failure is no guarantee of future results. You've maybe heard that as it relates to investing money or depositing money in, a, in an investment of some kind. That's something that you would have learned in school if you ever studied economics or something along those lines. You would learn that past success, and the, the flip side of that is failure. It's no guarantee of future results. Just because you've had failure in the past doesn't mean you'll have failure in the future. Just because you have success in the past doesn't mean you'll have success in the future. So reflecting on past successes and failures how much impact does that have if you don't learn anything from it, generally speaking, and it doesn't indicate or it doesn't guarantee what future results will be. Now, a third reason is many successes and failures are influenced by factors beyond one's control. Many successes or failures are influenced by factors beyond one's control. And so as you're thinking about, as I reflect back on the past year, successes or failures, again, I'm talking about in the natural realm from a physical perspective, a human perspective. Oftentimes, the things that went right had little to do with me. The things that went wrong oftentimes had little to do with me too. Now, obviously, there's a, a skill there. There's a continuum that you could look at there where you may have had more or less involvement in certain things than other things, but oftentimes because we're so interconnected with other people, because we're not living on an island even though sometimes we act that way or we want to think that we are somehow an island unto ourselves, the truth is we're not. We're interconnected with so many other people such that our lives are influenced by a lot of decisions and choices and events that are beyond our control. 
And so as you think about reflecting back on the past year, how much of that was within your influence or control anyway, the truth is very little of it. Now, another reason is that people, that this is largely, I say largely, not completely, but largely not very valuable or worthwhile, is that people rarely follow through with future resolutions or commitments. So as we're thinking about, I was mostly talking about reflecting on the past year, but now I'm talking about setting goals for the next year. Why does that have very little value to it from a human perspective? And it's because we're being realistic. And people, just generally speaking, do not follow through on the future resolutions and commitments that they make. Now you say, well, this year is going to be different. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to eat a half a bag of chips at 11 o'clock at night. This is going to be the year that I finally kick that habit. Maybe. But how many other times have you said that? And I'm not trying to discourage you. If you're here today and your objective for 2024 is not eating half a bag of chips at 11 o'clock at night, I'm not trying to discourage you from that. That's a positive thing. That's a good thing. I had to kick that because the acid reflux doctor said you shouldn't be eating all this crap after 7 o'clock at night. Stop eating at seven. And then you'll give your stomach time to digest and you won't have as much acid when you lay down flat and gravity is no longer helping you. You can maybe understand how that would work. But I would say historically, probably 50% of my daily calories occurred between nine o'clock at night and midnight. And so now all of a sudden that has to change. Well, change is hard, isn't it? That's not easy. And if that would have been the only change, that would have been a lot easier for me. But she also said, and how much pop do you drink? And I said, well, I I do have a problem with Coca-Cola. And she said, no more Coca-Cola, no more carbonated beverages, no more caffeine, no more fruit juices. Pretty much everything but water and milk is what we're down to. Incredibly hard. I've oftentimes flippantly looked at people struggling to change some aspect like that of their lives and thought, just weak. You're just weak. <laughs> they're not just weak. They're addicted to these, these things. It's hard. And so when you're thinking about even this, it's not wrong. Uh, bodily exercise even profits a little bit. If you're, if you're here today saying, man, I hope I can be more active in 2024, and we're talking about the natural realm, the human realm. Good for you. I hope you can be. You'll benefit. And if you think about it from this perspective, which very few people do, when you think about getting healthier, oftentimes you're thinking about how could I prolong my life? How could maybe even have more noble reasons than that? How could I be, I could be there for my children? I could, I could maybe be able to see more of their lives unfold because I wouldn't put myself in an early grave just due to unhealthiness. Okay, but how, mu- how many times are you thinking about getting healthier, getting more active from a perspective of, I want to, I want to do this and be as capable as possible and, and mobile as possible, live as, even live as long as possible because I want to serve the Lord as much as possible. When's the last time that you've kind of connected some effort to make a change in the physical realm in your life because you saw that it might have some spiritual benefit? I might, I might be useful to the Lord in ways I couldn't be if I didn't get rid of some of this unhealthiness in my life. 
And I don't think many people have, and I think that would be a good reason. Maybe that would be the thing that would, this 2024, maybe that'll get, get you over the, over the hump, where you just haven't had the right motives. And now you say, in addition to all those other good motives, I want to feel better, I want to have more energy, I don't want to, you know, so on and so forth. I want to, I want to do these things because I can see some small amount anyway of spiritual value or benefit to being in a position to be used of the Lord in ways I otherwise couldn't be. Just something that, food for thought. Now, another reason in terms that there's little value in, from a human point of view, setting goals for the next year is that plans seldom come to fruition as anticipated or desired. So in terms of setting, setting goals, that's one thing. Now I'm talking about making plans. Oftentimes a person will look at the new year with a sense of they'll write out like a blueprint. I'm going to look at the new year in terms of things that I could accomplish or plans that I could make as to what that year, boxes that I'd hope to check off for that year. Now, not entirely wrong either. can be a good way to focus on things that are maybe more important than other things, again, all relatively speaking, because we're talking about the natural, the temporal realm. And so you might put a list of things that you say, I keep putting these things on the back burner, but they're actually more important than a lot of things that I've been using my time on, and so I'm going to be more focused on this this year. But the reason it has sort of uh, only a minimal or marginal amount of value is that those plans oftentimes don't go come to, to come to fruition or turn out as anticipated. So from a spiritual point of view, I've been talking about this natural point of view, there is value, though. So I'm, I'm saying there's not a lot of value in reflecting on the past year or setting goals for the next year when it comes to the natural realm, the physical realm, the temporal realm, for all of those reasons. And there's probably a lot more that you could come up with just to say that there's limited value in that. But from a spiritual point of view, as I was thinking about this, there's actually significant value in reflecting on the past and in considering the future. And so that's what I wanted to talk about this morning is to briefly consider both parts of that as we explore a proper perspective for the new year to look at the value in reflecting on the past and the value of considering the future. Now let's start with reflecting on the past year. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We've got quite a few youngsters here in the audience and you know certainly they'll get squirmy soon enough, but we, we do want to touch on it anyway. Now, there's some spiritual value associated with reflecting on the past. I already talked about it a bit earlier when I was talking about considering God's faithfulness. And so one of the verses that might come to mind as you think about the value, spiritually speaking, of reflecting on the past, it might be a verse like this. Philippians 3, 13 through 14. Now, Paul says this, and he's talking about running a race, pushing forward with the path that God has put in front of him, the course. You know, there's a course that's set in front of me. And I didn't set the court, course, Paul realizes. He's, God's the one who sets the course. And, and if God's the one who sets the course, and he's, he's using an athletic metaphor here, if God's the one who set this course, and I'm, I'm just a runner who's being empowered by his spirit, but my perspective is that I want to run the race well, to finish strong, run this race with endurance or patience that God has set in front of me. 
Now the whole time I want to do that while looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my, of my faith, but that is his perspective that I'm going to be running this race. So he says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is my perspective that I'm not going to spend my time dwelling on a past that I cannot change. I'm going to primarily spend my time focused on a bright future that I have with my God and Savior. It's a bright future, friends. The past year, there, it might have been gloomy. You might look back the past year and say, there was a lot of sad or difficult or trying things that I, that I went through this past year. It wasn't, I had a lot of failure. I, had, I made a lot of mistakes. I didn't redeem the time that I had. But Paul says, dwelling on that, fixating on that, focusing on that, obsessing about that isn't the way forward. The way forward is to look up, child, and as I'm looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, I will run with endurance the race that is set in front of me. It's not that I'm so focused on the race that's in front of me. It's that I'm so focused on a personal relationship with a loving God who gave himself for me and made a way for me to be made right with him, not on the basis of what I could do for God, but on the basis of what God would do for me by sending his only begotten son. And I, and I went here to where John 3.16 is normally not covered up. By sending his only begotten son because he loved me so much. And the verse, of course, goes on to say that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. See, I have life. I, I was associated with just death and darkness. But now in Christ, I have new life. I've been made alive. I've been redeemed. I've been reconciled. Again, I've been adopted. I've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I've been given every blessing, every spiritual blessing for a life of godliness. I've been given a privilege of even becoming a partaker of the divine nature. I have been given a direction, a purpose, meaning for my life. I've been empowered by every resource necessary for God to accomplish that in and through me if I would be willing. So as I'm thinking about the race, I, I, it starts with I'm enjoying the Lord personally. And as I'm enjoying the Lord personally, then I'm going to be moving forward, pressing toward the goal for the prize. And so we touched on it a little bit, but you look at this word, I want it, before we move on, I want to look at this word forgetting. When it says forgetting those things which are behind, so as you think about the value of reflecting on the past year, it's not about obsessing about or wallowing in past failure. The word here is forgetting, it literally means to dismiss from the mind. Dismiss from the mind those things which are behind. Now, question. You see, Paul is focused on the present, not the future. Oh, sorry, the future too, but not the past. The present and the future, but not the past. But the question is, when he says forgetting, what does he want us to forget? Just the past failure? No, he's talking about past successes too. You see, focusing on your past failure or your past success, it's never helpful. We don't live in the past. We're living in the present and we're looking forward to the future. So when we dismiss from the mind the things that are behind, it's, it's saying I, those things are, are gone. I can't do anything about them 
anymore anyway. I could, I could consider them from the perspective of learning something from them, but I'm not going to dwell on them. Now, as you think about that, reflecting on my past, on, on, on looking it to self, looking at, again, past success or failure, no benefit, but reflecting on God's past faithfulness we touched on already that is spiritually benefit, beneficial, I mean, spiritually beneficial. And so as I think about God's past faithfulness, when I think even about that word, I think about he never fails. When I think about faithful, even young kids, sometimes you hear these words where we talk about God is faithful. What does that mean, that God is faithful? Well, he, he never fails. God always, God always comes through is a way of thinking about that. You've never failed and you won't start now. And as I think about the value of reflecting back on God's past faithfulness, you say, what's the biblical basis for that? You say, show me in the Bible where that would be true. And I would say, we're not going to take the time to go to all the references, but how many times can you recall the Red Sea being remembered or being discussed or considered, what God did at the Red Sea, the rescue that he provided by parting the Red Sea? How many times was that called to remembrance in the Bible? Many times. Many times they would reflect back on God's faithfulness at a specific point in time. And that point in time was when it didn't seem like there was any way. When it seemed hopeless. When they seemed helpless. When they couldn't rescue themselves. When they had no strength that was left. When they faced the Red Sea in the front Mountains on the side, the Egyptian army coming behind this. They, I'm talking about the nation of Israel. There was no way forward without God. Now, does it stand to reason that it would make sense that that would be called to remembrance or that it would be mentioned or discussed over and over and over again in the Bible if one of the primary takeaways from the story of the Bible from front to end is that man apart from God is helpless? That unless man can learn to depend on God to do for him what he could never do for himself, there is no hope. Friends, the Bible is not that complicated. There's parts of it that are complicated, but the story is, is quite simple. Man has a problem, and only God can provide a solution to man's problem. That's a problem with sin. That's a, a problem with being spiritually separated from God on account of being identified with personal sin and being born into a race of sinners, the race of Adam. The storyline is about how God could rescue. God could reconcile. God could make right something that was wrong. God could fix what was broken. But man never could apart from God. It was about total dependence on God to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Now flip to a part in your Bible and ask yourself, isn't that essentially what the story is about? Where did you turn? Oh, you turned to the story of Daniel. You turned to the story of Moses. You turned to the story of Joseph. You turned to the story of Nehemiah. You turned to the story of Paul. You looked at the life of John the Baptist. You considered Peter's life. You looked at the difficulties that Rahab faced. You looked at the difficulties that Esther faced. You looked at the difficulties that Mary, the mother of Jesus, must have gone through. The story is one and the same. So that's why there is value 
in looking at God's past faithfulness as we look at the past year. Now, I want you to do this for a second. Consider in your own mind, if you're a real mystic here, go ahead and close your eyes. But even close your eyes sometimes and think about the past year. Take, take a minute in this transition of the years to think about what examples of God's faithfulness come to mind as you think about the last 365 days. Doesn't life just have a way of slipping away without us ever really getting a hold of it? 365 more days gone, never to be recalled again. In that calendar year, was God faithful? The answer is yes. What things can you call to mind in your personal life that remind you of what a faithful God you have? You see, reflecting on it, the more you think about it, the more you should come up with. And if you're struggling, come meet with me. I'll help walk you through that. Because there's things I guarantee you're forgetting. And maybe you'll help me remember some things. But as we reflect on that, it should strengthen your faith moving forward because you say, I have a promise-keeping, way-making, faithful God, and he loves me desperately. Does that give you some strength to face tomorrow? Like the great song of the faith says, many things about tomorrow, I don't seem to understand, but I know who holds tomorrow, and I know who holds my hand. You're not facing this alone, friends. And you look back at how God has proven that to you time and time again, and it emboldens you, it empowers you to face the future with a stronger faith than you otherwise would have. Now I want to move on to the second part here. See, reflecting on the past year, some value to that. But how about setting goals for the new year? See, many people consider the new year as an opportunity to institute personal or life change or set goals for the coming year. Often, this takes the form of New Year's resolutions. And we talked about how that doesn't have that much value from a human perspective just due to us not keeping our commitments, not keeping our promises, not following through with things that we have in front of us. But as we think about setting goals for the new year from a spiritual perspective. See, believers should realize that setting personal goals or charting a course is folly because any success in the spiritual realm is directed and empowered by God and the Holy Spirit. So directed by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit working in our lives. So when it comes to resolutions or making goals for the new year, it's kind of foolish even from a spiritual perspective perspective. But that said, so in terms of thinking about it in terms of I'm going to do this, that, or the other thing. I want this, that, or the other thing to be true of my life, and I'm going to make the changes that would be necessary for that to occur. Foolish. The Bible says, without me, you can do nothing. That's what Jesus Christ says. So foolish in that sense. But that being said, having a godly attitude or desires for the future is good. It's generally a good thing to have a godly attitude or godly desires for this coming year. And we saw David express this succinctly in Psalm 25. And why don't we turn there just so we have a little bit of page turning here this morning. Psalm 25. 
Now, if you've been coming on Wednesdays or tuning in online, we've been going through the book of Psalms on Wednesday nights. And it's been a very encouraging study for me, and it's also been challenging in some ways. David talks to God through poetic kind of language because the Psalms are ultimately poetry. And so some of it is a little bit tough to figure out exactly what it is that he's talking about. My wife tells me, you can't multitask. Why are you even trying? So here we have it on the screen if you didn't have a Bible with you. Psalm 25, 4 through 5. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So as you think about what is David's future-looking, present and future-looking perspective, well, he does have a godly attitude. He's, he's praying that he would have godly desires for the future, and that's a good thing. He's saying, show me your ways, meaning I need this to occur now and in the future. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth, and teach me again, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I will wait all the day. Well, you're going to have to rely on your own Bibles. This is just not working. But consider these verbs here that we see. See, they all reflect this dependent mentality where David says, I'm looking forward. I'm not setting goals for the future so much, but I'm seeking to have the proper perspective about the future. And the proper perspective about the future is all God-focused. It's all God-dependent. And so that's why we see God, David talking to God with these verbs, show me your ways, teach me your paths, lead me in your truth. And you think about that. When your thinking or perspective aligns with God's will, nothing can get in the way of that. You see, God desperately wants to direct your ways and to lead you, lead you down his paths. But it only occurs when you're presently trusting him. So when you have a posture of humility, a mentality or this proper perspective for the new year that we're talking about here, when you have that proper perspective, then God can work with that. And, and notice that you see the humility in David's posture here of trust and dependence. When he's trusting in God, then God can show, teach, and lead. He says, for you are the God of my salvation. That's speaking to this conviction that David has that God is the one who can undertake to save, to rescue, to provide. So then the conclusion based on that trusting God is, on you I wait all the day. It's because I'm trusting you. So if you're convinced of the former, which is that you are the God of my salvation, then the latter should be true as well. Then I'm going to wait on you all the day, Lord. Not some of the day, not part of the day, all of the day. But I'm going to wait on you because I'm convinced that you're the God who saves. And so as we think about 
having that attitude, having that godly desire, that godly attitude, that's a good thing. And as we kind of consider the proper perspective that flows from that attitude for the new year, we need to think about, well, what do we mean by perspective? Well, we're talking about a way of seeing something, a way of considering a matter or a point of view that you would have. Now, there's several things that you must see properly in order to experience spiritual success in the new year. So if you want to talk about things that you must see in order to have a proper perspective and thus experience spiritual success in the new year. And there's just four of them that I want to bring out quickly. One, you're going to have to see that it's not about you. It's not about you. I have to say it's not about me. You have to say that yourself. It's not about me. And that mentality was modeled very well by John the Baptist. If you were to look at John 3.30, it's a short verse. You all, most of you know it well. But it says, he must increase but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. What is wrapped up in that short little verse sharing the perspective of John the Baptist? It's not about me. It's it's not about making myself bigger. The natural default, the the natural mindset is I'm going to exalt myself, magnify myself, make myself bigger. But if my mission is to live to make him bigger, to put the spotlight on him, how can I have the spotlight on me? How can I be making myself bigger and at the same time be fulfilling God's mission for me, which is to live to make him bigger? And so he must increase in size, which means I must disappear. I must decrease. That's what we're talking about where when Paul's talking about you died but your life is now hidden with Christ. So that's the first idea. If you're going to have this proper perspective on the new year, you have to realize this has never been about you. Now the second one is not my will. So it's not about me, and it's not about my will. Turn to John 4.34. John 4.34. And we see the example of Jesus because Jesus never, God never instructs us to do anything that he hasn't, for starters, made us aware of repeatedly in his word. But then in most instances, you could say he also demonstrated it through the example of Jesus Christ, most things. You might think of some things, maybe not, but that's what, as Jesus lived among us, as he dwelt among us, he gave us an example of many things. But this is an example of seeing that this isn't about me because it's not, and it's also not about my will. John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, while Jesus was in incarnate form, Emmanuel, God with us living amongst us, he put himself under the, he put himself in subjection to the will of the Father. And he said, not my will, but thy will be done, even in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will. My food, what feeds my soul, what nourishes me is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Is that your perspective? 
If you want to have a proper perspective for the new year as a man or woman of faith, you have to see this and understand that it's not about you and it's not my will. It's God's will that has to drive this thing. So in James 4.15, we see, indeed you ought to say. Now a person, he's giving an example. A person is saying, I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing in the coming year. I'm going to build new barns and I'm going to set aside all of this wealth in the coming years. And the proper perspective, James says, is instead of saying that, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So instead of making plans for the next year, uh, you have no control over that anyway. And if you're wanting to walk as led and directed by the Lord, and if it's not about you, and if it's about God's will and not your own, your perspective should be, if God wills, then this is going to be how things go. That's why people used to say, men and women of faith used to commonly say about different items, different things and events in their life, they'd say, if the Lord wills, I'll see you on Saturday. If the Lord wills, and then they would fill in the blank. It's kind of fallen out of favor. It's not a common thing anymore. Why did people do that? Well, some of them did it just out of habit. Some of them did it out of tradition. Some of them did it just because they thought it was the, the thing that they had grown up doing. They didn't understand it at all. They never once really thought about what God's will actually was. But the people who probably originated it sincerely said it because of this principle. It's not about my will. It's about God's will. Another one that, just for the sake of time, Psalm 40, verse 8 says this. We just covered this last Wednesday, but it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Is that your perspective for the new year? Is that your perspective as you sit there right now? I delight to do your will, because your law is in my heart. It's, it's something that is a heart response to seeing God's goodness. It's not that I'm forced to do this. I'm obliged to do this. I do this out of shame, guilt, fear, remorse, regret, any of these negative emotions. So then the third thing, if it's not about me and it's not my will, then it's also not my path or my plan that's important either when I think about a proper perspective for the new year. Turn to Psalm 37. Verse 23, Psalm 37, It says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Now, there's two different perspectives on that. Some think that it's referring to the good man delights in God's way, so that the capital H should be on he, should be actually put on the, on the his, put a capital H there, and a lowercase h on he, and others take it this way, that God delights in the way of the one whose steps are ordered by him. Now, both are true, so you could take it either way. But I think it's amazing to think of it that, that way. The steps of a good man, meaning a righteous man, one who is trusting in the Lord, is another way of saying that. The, the thing that makes his way appropriate, prosperous, is that his steps are ordered by the Lord. 
See, it's not about my plan or my path. It's about God's path for me. And his, my steps should be directed by God. When that's true, it should reflect a mentality where I delight in God's way for my life and God delights in me following his way for my life. Both of those would be true. Now, if you turn back a few pages to Psalm 16, verse 11, we'll see another verse here in Just so you know, we only have one more verse here. Psalm 16, 11. It says, you will show me the path of life. Now, who reveals the path for your life? God. Who directs the steps? God, if it's done properly. In your presence is fullness of joy. It's staying connected to you. That's the source of joy in my life. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's about intimacy and a personal relationship with a personal God, the result of which is that God shows me the path that brings life and light to my life. I can't do that myself. So it's not about me. It's not my will. It's not my path or plan. When we're thinking about a proper perspective for the new year, and the last one is, it's not my strength. It's not my strength that's the focus now, most of you know this verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the power of God working in me. You can read in Ephesians chapter 3. It's the power of God working in me that makes a prosperous path available to me for the coming year. See, the proper perspective is I have to see that. It's not about me. It's not about my will. It's not about my plans and it's not about my strength. It's all focused on God and what he wants to do in my life. So as I'm thinking about that proper perspective, looking backward, the question is, how did God reveal his faithfulness to you in this past year? Now think about, did he show you his presence, his provision for you? So many in that category. Did you experience God's peace? How about God's perspective or God's purpose? Were, were these things that you experienced in terms of God's faithfulness as you look back at the last year? And the truth is that they're absolutely they're, those things were occurring and at a minimum they were available. But does that give you hope for the future, for today and tomorrow? Looking forward, will you have a proper perspective for the new year? Do you generally have this perspective that we talked about? where it's this dependent posture of show me, teach me, lead me? Is it, is, is it this perspective of it's not about me, it's not my will, it's not my plans, it's not my strength? You see, you are not the focus. And anytime you become the focus, then you don't experience the life God has planned for you. You are not in control. You need to learn to trust the one who is in control. This is true in my life too. You don't know what's best for yourself. You don't know many things that God has yet to reveal to you. You don't know the right path that God has for you. God is the one who has to show you those things. So will we have that proper perspective? It's all about God. It's all about enjoying, glorifying, magnifying, serving, and living for him. That's the proper perspective for the new year. So I hope that was impactful. We're going to 
pray here and then we're going to have one more song before we go eat our lunch. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time that we could spend together. Thank you for an opportunity to just think about what a proper perspective for the new year is. Frankly, it's a proper perspective for each and every day, but it's something that's beneficial to be mindful of as we think about the turning of a chapter from one year to the next. But pray that we would be impacted by those things and remembering that this isn't a story about me. This is all about you. And as we do that, that we could then have that dependent posture that's necessary for us to actually redeem the time that you've given us and live in a way that really makes you bigger. Thank you for all of these believers. Thank you for this food that we're about to eat, for this time that we can spend together. Pray that it would be profitable and that it would, there would be safety throughout the afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab a book just in case this goes out again. It's number 290. I think we sang this one from all the years that I've been doing this to close the new year out. Um, just a couple of reminders. Kids, as pastor says about eating, you eat in there, not in here. Don't bring food around. And the other thing is no running. We don't want any old people like me being run down, so run outside but not in the building, Okay. You want to stand up, please? <clears throat> it may be at morn when the day is awaking, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking. That Jesus will come in the fullness of glory To receive from the world his own O Lord Jesus, how long, how long Ere we shout the glad song Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen Amen. It may be at midday, it may be at twilight, it may be perchance that the blackness of midnight will burst into light in the blaze of his glory when Jesus receives his own. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long ere we shout the glad song. Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen, hallelujah, amen. Oh, joy, oh, delight, should we go without dying. No sickness, no sadness, no dread, and no crying. Caught up through the clouds with our Lord into glory when Jesus receives his own. Oh, Lord Jesus, how long, how long ere we shout the glad song 
Christ returneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen.